This is Simplistic Fit Down. Hey everyone, this is Matt with Simplistic Reviews for another Simplistic Interview live, quote unquote, from the uh, Fantasia Film Festival. Uh, we're going into the first weekend or almost getting towards you know the first couple of days of the fest. And uh, anybody who's been uh, following the site for interviews, um, been interviewing some pretty cool first-time filmmakers, and I have a surprise. I have another first-time filmmaker for you today. Um, he is the director of the upcoming world premiere screening of uh, The Paper Tigers. This is Bao Tran. How are you doing today, Bao? I'm doing fine, Matt. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah. How's uh, the West Coast? How's Seattle treating you right now? The West Coast is the best-ish coast uh, <laughs> right now. We're doing... Okay, we have four, um, in addition to a pandemic, of course, we're having kind of summer forest fires. So that's going to get real interesting for the summer. And we have these crazy thunderstorms that are coming in as well. So, um, hey, man, keep it interesting. So we like to do. Are we, are we <laughs> surprised by anything that's going to be happening anymore? <laughs> yeah, because <you> know? <laughs> yeah, what was the other thing I read? That, uh, there was some, um, I guess, uh, NASA scientists that said there's a chance that a six and a half foot asteroid might be hitting us maybe soon oh, they, say, they said hey don't worry it's not gonna be a deep impact or anything but there, it's a i think they said it's a 0 0.14 chance of it hitting uh, the earth so oh okay yeah just a gash yeah just a gash yeah depending on who depending on who it hits it might not, may not be a, a beauty mark you know yeah nary a beauty mark <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, looking uh, forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> as much I, as exactly. I look forward to everything else, yeah. I hope they didn't bring the whole interview down or anything like that. It's like, oh, no, oh, no another no, thing to worry about. We can't go any lower point. now. We're, we're already there. <laughs> we'll just keep digging, digging a little exactly. deeper. we we'll see how deep we can go. This. So, exactly. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. Of course, the circumstances are interesting and crazy and the often uh, over-cliched new normal. This is pretty much how interviews have been going on and everything uh, with the film festival and as much as we'd like to be sitting across the room, probably recording this, you know, face to face, but uh, this is what we have uh, to work with. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about you getting started. Um, as I as I uh, alluded to, this is your first feature, uh, the Paper Tigers. Um, however, you have been in the film industry for for quite a while. You know, working with a lot of great actors. I mean, you you kind of cut your teeth with you know, Corey, Corey Yoon and everything like that, doing, uh, you know, um, martial arts things, stunt, coordinate, stunt coordinating and everything. So um, how did that get you ready for your first feature film, kind of working with him, getting his blessings, kind of, I don't want to say being his, uh, you know, uh, kind of protege in some ways, but, you know, you kind of were. So uh, take us back, take us all the way back to your love for, you know, kung fu flicks and, everything that kind of goes hand-in-hand uh, -hand with this film. Yeah, I mean, a uh, big fan of martial arts films, so this is kind of a, a fitting uh, first feature, if you will, for me to kind of be able to tell the story and tell kind of a biographical story about that. Um, Corey Yoon, you know, I've never worked with him formally on a show or anything, but it was mm -hmm. always uh, this, like, informal mentorship so a lot of it was a little bit school of hard knocks uh you know <laughs> i would make these videos uh yeah i'm gonna be a family friend so I, i'd make these videos and just show him ask for his feedback and this was like as a teenager yeah. so you know it's pretty cringy now looking back on the stuff that was done but he he was he humored me and he listened he watched it and gave me notes gave me ideas gave me a way to kind of think about things and that you know i'm forever indebted uh, to him that 
in that regard. And in that sense, just kind of really shaped the way I think about movies because uh, the way he would say it was almost kind of like, if you didn't have um, good story, you can't have good action. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean anything to kind of create a, a cool action scene or a cool fight uh, with moves if you don't really understand what's going on with the characters or the story or the stakes and stuff like that. So that kind of really just really opened my mind. It's like, oh, huh, it's not just cool wires. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> you like kind the of do that. Wire, yeah. <laughs> when you, you first do that and you're like, yeah, it's all about the cool flips yeah. and stuff. And then you kind of think about, well, you know, how exactly is everything put together? And the more important, why is everything put together? So that really set my way as far as thinking about, you know, how, how to make movies and how to tell a story. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, and, you know, I just from that, what you had just mentioned, you know, I just kind of made movies on my own in the backyard and um, not really any formal film school other than, you know, these kind of, mem these kind of mentorships. And um, just started making my own films, my own short films. And uh, if you, you may or may not be familiar with, there's, there's kind of a uh, Asian American uh, community of filmmakers who oftentimes do it despite their previous generations or do it despite their yeah. their, their their upbringing because yeah. an artistic upbringing is kind of unheard of like I'm not from a showbiz family you know and I know yeah. several some, some people who are so it's I, I don't my family or my, my history has no connections to films so to even begin to making films like what does that even mean how to start or how to like get get even anywhere with it so a lot of that was like trial and error mm -hmm. and a lot of that was like just um learning and then burning <laughs> crashing burning a lot of course uh and then just figuring out as we go um and just also finding a community so i mentioned with asian america i'm vietnamese mm -hmm. um by ethnicity but i was born here um so we were able to make a lot of connections with each other and my producer alan dong is actually also vietnamese american from you know the same hometown that I was from, but we actually didn't cross paths until, you know, our late, our mid twenties, mm -hmm. uh, ironically. So, um, you know, we just find ourselves in different ways. So in that regard, there was film festivals and, um, communities and arts organizations for Asian Americans, for Vietnamese Americans that, um, brought us all together. Um, so I built a lot of, um, my friendships through that as I was coming up. And as part of that, um, Vietnam had been is still undergoing this huge kind of like economic boom mm -hmm. and kind of a growth spurt in terms of coming out in terms of into the world that being more globalized and creating more films and, and more more um, how, how would you say big budgeted films yeah. for an audience that's hungry to go see it because now the the younger class is growing up who want to go to movies and stuff like that so it's actually quite booming. Uh, in Vietnam, the theater experience, whereas here in the U.S., we might see it as kind of a trickling down and not really, you know, losing to streaming and whatnot. Uh, but in, in in Vietnam, it's, you know, very similar to Bollywood or something like yeah. that, where people want to go to see the theaters, to movies in theaters and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of uh, my peers and my age, grade, and my group um, have gone back to Vietnam to work um, either as uh directors, writers, or DPs, or actors, and stuff like that, but also kind of bringing the kind of, I guess, American the polish of film, the, yeah, look, Hollywood a lot concept. Of them, yep, and so a lot of them were like USC uh, uh, film grads and stuff like that, and then going to Vietnam and kind of bringing their, their talents and stuff, so I was fortunate to kind of follow some of my friends and, and work for a little bit out there, and, and I, as an editor, so mm -hmm. I cut two films out there, 
one a big action movie and one a big comedy movie. Um, and, uh, and I just kind of learned the ropes as far as like what that whole thing is almost in, in miniature because you see mm -hmm. studio filmmaking, but in a very directed um, way because you could, it's for a Vietnamese audiences. The stores are not, we know we're not going to go internationally. We know it's not like, you know, the big Hollywood type of film. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very different flavor when you have some freedom to cater to the local audience um, and, and tell stories that are very specific to, you know, and tell jokes, you know, that yeah. are specific to, and slang that is very specific to that culture. So that was like a real learning curve as far as like um, you're standing um, this whole booming culture. So it, it's still interesting uh, to this day. I'm still fascinated by it. I still have friends and connections that are there. So it's always interesting kind of following what's happening there as a parallel in terms of cinema or yeah. national cinema. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of a long story short in terms of, you know, where, where I've been. And this story with the Paper Tires already had it as a script or as an idea before mm -hmm. I first left for Vietnam. And then I just started working a lot and I just felt it came to a time I just had to come back to it and actually just sit down and write it and commit to it and actually be, uh, be able to be uh, direct it as my first feature. Um, so that was kind of like a real kind of shift in commitment on that. And because, you know, um, it was really exciting to be in yeah. Vietnam. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I, uh, I I know the Bollywood experience and things like that, mm -hmm. and even kind of like the you know, Indonesian films and everything like that. That's mm -hmm. you know, ever since the raid, I would say is like yeah, you know, that whole that whole region is kind of blown up with the action films and everything, uh, martial arts. Now, um, now that you've kind of directed a film, the Ameri I guess I, I'm, I guess I can say the American style. And then how was it in Vietnam? I mean, because um, you're also only kind of I don't want to say you're only appealing to like it's one nationality. So you, you're not really, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, it, it's here in America, it's a melting pot, you know, Italians, Americans, Asians, you know, uh, Hispanics, you know, African-Americans, there's so many people to kind of cater to and to kind of work and make sure the movie's liked by everybody. Whereas in Vietnam, you know, it, it's the Vietnamese culture, you know, uh, and yeah. I don't, unfortunately, I don't know much about Vietnamese culture, yeah. but uh, I know it's probably very, it's, it, it's it's singular, you know. It's uh, I'm gonna say homogenous, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. But but how how was that kind of working in Vietnam? I guess looking back in hindsight, now that you finished like your first feature, are you like, man, I want to go back to Vietnam now? <laughs> are you kind of like that? <laughs> are you like, okay, I'm happy with where I'm at, where I'm at right now? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, the but I think the bottom line is obviously the dollar goes a longer way. Mm -hmm. So your budgets and equivalents of of labor and the type of uh, production um value that you had in film you could go a long way mm -hmm. uh when you make it a film in vietnam so obviously that one is a leg up in terms of being able to tell the stories that are more on a bigger scale or you know you can get you know certain access to multi-camera shoots and, and and sets and production and all that stuff so um the scale of of making the film is much more accessible um but yeah like you're saying it is it is a monoculture obviously this you know one language that kind of like is what you're telling a story tour and uh it has its pros and cons i'll be mm -hmm. honest you know it has uh it's wonderfully vibrant because it's just so energetic and it's mm -hmm. not again like i was saying it's not stale in comparison to a lot of the hollywood stuff and it doesn't yeah. have to be bound by certain type of rules and stuff um but it's also can be a little backwards <laughs> <laughs> and being a monoculture and i think it's because it's insular and you know and stuff like that but you know there's there's one show I think I avoided doing that had like 
blackface as a major piece of its plot you know oh, wow. and i was just okay. like, well, so. there, i guess you know <laughs> i guess we haven't come that far in any, no, in we any haven't culture come, yeah, at that point everything has <laughs> come down yeah, everything comes back to blackface apparently so so i mean i would you know i avoided it like the plague and uh fortunately you know i didn't i didn't get involved with that but you know but to to know that that got greenlit and you know that's the norm and that's comedy to, yeah. for a lot of the audience that's um something that's still a culture shock for me mm-hmm. and then still like maybe you know it's it's good that I can kind of hold on to that culture shock because it is still kind of weird. And so you have to kind of like, if you want to be all in and spend all your time working there, you do have to kind of make these judgment calls about what that means to, to cater and tell these stories to a local audience and what it means to not, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a, it's, and you take each project as it comes. So it's, it's also kind of like that too. So yeah, I mean, it's fraught with all these things that sometimes maybe if you don't have to worry about like this movie is not going to be seen outside the, the Vietnam, you know, just specifically, then maybe yeah. you don't have to worry about it. Maybe it's, but you know, history has a way of, you know, coming back and biting you in the ass. So, it, 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 no, it does. Know. And we're, we're <laughs> such a connected society now too, where you yeah. know, everybody wants to see everything. So all it takes is, you know, one person saying like, Hey, I saw this Vietnamese show that featured, you know, this, pretty bow was in it and it had a black face yeah it's like what is going on here what is he doing bow we we were about to give you 50 50 million (laughs) dollars project but this one guy who caught a clip and put plastic on the internet and everything like that now it's a a viral effect and everything so it's a thing it is the thing yeah and you know and and i don't mean to say it's just you know business decisions certainly not you know if it doesn't jive with what you want to do or your values as an artist i think we we all need to listen to it uh, on first instinct versus you know calculating if it's going to help you or benefit you in the moment so yeah and i'm sure it's difficult to even kind of explain that to like an executive over there like hey you know in america we don't do this anymore and it's like <laughs> well well in vietnam we think this is funny it's like oh, well phew I, I yeah step yeah. away from this it's, it's trying trying to kind of like retroact like change in some ways is still a very interesting thing but i mean um i'm not sure if that came up in other times where it's like hey here's my take on this like are they open or like are vietnamese audiences or vietnamese filmmakers like open to kind of like an american perspective on things or are they still kind of like no this is the way like we want to do the film and this is for us and not we don't want to really take any other culture cultural kind of consideration Uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if you will I don't, I don't know if you ran into that uh, over there as well or anything mm-hmm. um i think there's two things to that i think one is the uh what does it mean to learn the american way is it the american way of making a film or is mm-hmm. it the american way of making movies and telling, telling a certain a story, type of story yeah, yeah americanizing a story that's not supposed to be americanized at all or anything yeah. right so i mean i'll briefly touch on that because i haven't seen it but i heard like Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, or mm-hmm. what's, is that what it's called? Yeah, the Five the Bloods. Five. I don't even, I've yeah. been in an editing cave for the last, literally you, like the last nine months. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Up to the so 11th hour. I don't know. I didn't get the memo. Uh, but, but, uh, apparently it's a thing. Apparently it's a thing. Yeah. But, you know, The Five Bloods, I, I know I saw a lot of commentary with my Vietnamese friends about, you know, it's conflicted because because Spike Lee is able to tell the story from a Black American point of view, and especially mm-hmm. about the war, Vietnam War, which is not often portrayed from Black soldiers' uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, so there's 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 strength in that, but also the way they're portraying the Vietnamese and portraying the war is still from an American 
American, how would you say, the American side, you know, they're yeah, the American yes, yeah. military so, side. I, and I can't even say the winning side, but just the side of the, you know, if he had, if it was Spike Lee, would maybe co-directing with a Vietnamese director or somebody who can mm-hmm. inform him, but it's still from the American perspective, but at least it's from the African American, the African American perspective, which is yeah. portrayed maybe in about two movies. I can maybe name up yes, off my head exactly. or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there, and I know I'm not sure if you know I haven't seen the movie, so I, I can't really chime in. But you know, it does seem like you know all these issues about whose perspective are we talking about. Maybe that needs some clarity about who exactly we're talking about and whose perspective and who who has kind of the um, what's the word? I don't want to say liberty, but who has kind of like the the who's who's telling that story from the place of strength and knowledge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And be able to tell that so. So, so there's that. And then there's, like, I think I mentioned the mechanics of making a film. Mm-hmm. The mechanics are different. I think that's what I would, was really interested in bringing back here and shooting a film here in America is kind of bringing a little bit of the Asian mentality of making films because I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Um, whereas I think there's a lot of rules and departments and just everything's very, like, structured and ordered yeah. uh, here in the States, which kind of drives me nuts, frankly, but, um, all the red tape to have to cut through. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all the red tape. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 it was cool that we're in an indie where it's a little bit less buttoned down and obviously many people are wearing many hats. Um, so, but I, I there were definitely things that I kind of wanted to bring in terms of, um, the spirit of making a movie that was a little more, um, freewheeling. I don't want to say free, like, it wasn't like irresponsible and, yeah. Uh, we had planning, but, you know, just something a little <laughs> bit looser, especially for the actors and especially, you know, for, for performances as well. So, you know, that's kind of the balance in finding, you know, how you want to make a movie, you know, mechanically. And all yeah. That stuff. Well, I mean, uh, sh- I guess shifting gears to, you know, uh, to Paper Tigers, I mean, it is, it's a, you know, I, I don't want to say it's an old, it's an old school, it is kind of an old school Kung Fu flick with that, 80s type vibe you know because i mean obviously i mean you're 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 a child of the 80s i would say um Mm -hmm. so you grew up watching you know your your karate kid films and probably blood sport and everything else that had some sort of kung fu element i'm sure you go back to the classics like the shaw brothers uh, Mm -hmm. and even you know all the bruce lee films um and you filming it in seattle also it made me automatically think of bruce lee most of the time because i remember going to Seattle about six, six or seven years ago and going to, you know, the graveyard where, where he's buried and everything and basically a shrine to Bruce Lee. Um, and there's a lot of allusions to just Bruce Lee and the way he kind of, uh, I can't speak for Bruce Lee because I don't know everything about him and everything he stood for, but a lot of, like, it's a very honorable movie you created, I feel, in a lot of ways. And I, I think that goes to the virtues of what Bruce Lee was about with his Kung Fu style and everything too. But you don't really bring up Bruce Lee in, in, in the film all that much. It's kind of a, a, a homage to like his life and his, you know, his films and everything. But um, was that like a concerted effort where you're like, I don't want people to make, make a mistake like, oh, this is just my, my love letter to Bruce Lee. I want people to kind of <laughs> that thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on uh, a lot of those things. It's uh, obviously, you know, we're in Seattle, so we're based mm-hmm. in Seattle, so we can't uh, escape that connection if we yeah. shoot, you know, <laughs> in Chinatown. It is Seattle, it is pretty obviously 
um, where we are. So we definitely want to embrace it um, in terms of uh, what that meant for us spiritually, like you were saying, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it definitely didn't have to be a real name check, you know, so, but it was in our DNA, but it didn't need to be on our sleeve. Yeah. Uh, let's put it that way. So I think that's something that we definitely want to do. And um, the martial arts aspects of, you know, the honor and stuff like that was really uh, important because it was also kind of an interesting way in terms of what it meant for, again, back to me as an Asian American growing up, in two cultures and just kind of like that tug and pull of two mm -hmm. values. Um, and in this case, just wanted to highlight it, this value of martial arts, this very arcane and almost very, you know, stiff and just kind of like really weird, you know, traditions yeah. of what martial arts <laughs> is. And then like modern day. And I, that was always an interesting contrast because it is, does feel that way oftentimes for a lot of Asian Americans to feel a certain way about Asian culture and also way that of, of, American culture, even though we are Americans, but you know, there is yeah. kind of this white American culture in terms of what we feel like we have to, 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 um, what's the word? What's that word? Uh, no, they're talking about, I, uh, it skips my, my, uh, we'll, my, we'll my, come, my we'll come back, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Code switch. That's okay. Yes. Code switch. Okay. Yeah. So it's often a thing where we have to behave one way for some people and behave another way for a different set of cultures and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, so in the same way, martial arts world, there is kind of like the code switch, uh, for our lead character, for example, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things around him where, you know, he's not the greatest, uh, domestically at home with his father, with his son and his mm -hmm. next wife, but he code switches with his brothers and he becomes yeah. this leader in a lot of ways. So uh, that's something that we wanted to explore. Yeah. Now, with uh, you bring up Danny as like the main character. You have, you have Danny, you have Ming, and you have Jim, and they're they're all like very different characters, which I really appreciate. You you create this dynamic trio, and <laughs> I mean I, I love the kind of like montage opening you kind of have where now now grow, growing up in like the like the Olympia or Seattle area, now things are kind of happening like in the you know late eighties, mid you no know, early nineties, mm -hmm. mid nineties, and things like that. It, it's almost kind of like a, a fight club martial arts kung fu type of opening where people are just getting together it looks like a video for like michael jackson's like beat it or something like that yeah yeah everybody's meeting or something like that's like out of the warriors or something like that yep now yep. um growing up in your neighborhood or anything were, were there were, were things like that go, kind of going on in the neighborhood is that something you kind of like peeled back like oh i remember this happening so you kind of incorporated it into the film or is this kind of like you know how, how did you kind of create that opening and create that kind of like the fight i don't want to say fight culture but it is kind of like the kung fu fight culture mm -hmm. a little bit type thing you know yeah um i didn't personally because mm -hmm. i'm a book reading pacifist i stayed at home and studied and did got straight a's which as yep. i should so really that's <laughs> i'm sticking to it here. i'm sticking yeah. to it yeah, i'm sticking <laughs> to that story um but you know in terms of like what we experienced i think what you mentioned bruce lee it definitely that was kind of the historical homage because uh as you may or may not know you know bruce lee got in a lot of trouble as a youth in hong kong and these mm -hmm. and was in like these fight clubs yeah. uh between these kung fu clans and different schools and stuff like that and um the supposed story was that you know he had gotten in trouble with one of the um i think policemen's sons and and a fight or something uh or triads or one of those and that's how why he ended up being sent to america yeah to study because his parents were like oh this is too much uh, the so that was involved yeah you got to get out of here so yeah so that, <laughs> that's definitely you know that rough and tumble world that we kind of wanted to channel but also in hunk uh, in martial arts culture you know 
dojo busting is very much a piece of, of the world where you just go around and you challenge other schools and you try to prove who's best and stuff like that. And you try to close down the school because that means you get more students for yourself. <laughs> so like, like, now you're, you know, now you're R, not, not, yeah, not yeah, R, yeah, yeah. R seafood. More, yeah, they it's would your you, you get absorbed into. <laughs> yeah, it's a merger. You know, back in the day, it was just martial arts mergers. Martial there was nothing really, yeah. Hostile takeovers. And Hostile takeovers, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, you know, in relation to that, what I did see was a lot of hip-hop battles. You know, I did follow a lot of It made me think of, of that as well, too, yeah. Definitely, yeah. And a lot of my friends did uh, b-boying and battling and, and, and ciphers and mm -hmm. all those things like that. So I think that's just a parallel for youth culture. I think when youth are learning something new, and they're learning with their friends. They want to show that they're better than that other group of friends over there. So yeah. I think it's, it's just pretty universal as far as what that is. So that's something that we definitely wanted to kind of like uh, pull from, you know, look wise, you know, and not put them in these traditional martial arts uniforms. They're always in kind of like the urban clothes of the day. Kind of like, and what yeah, kids the would early wear. 90s, you're, like it was either like cross colors or like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like that I was trying to find hyper colors. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, find them, yeah, that, that would have been something if you were able to just find like really long orange pants with the cross Exactly, and like exactly. That. And they were, yeah, they're rocking flannels and all, and especially Seattle, you know, mm -hmm. that was kind of a grunge, grunge and everything so, like yep. that. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. So, and also just kind of, and skateboarding culture, and, you know, mm -hmm. especially the VHS um film uh filming style mm -hmm. like you know it was definitely just kind of like mishmash of just what i saw growing up among my friends and all the hobbies that they had and and it's really competition you know at the end of the day yeah. i mean i love how you met i mean i didn't think of like the rap battles and cypher stuff until you kind of brought it up because in, in the beginning they are just like talking shit to each other too it's like well i'm gonna do this and do this especially you know, <laughs> you know especially with carter and everything like that it's like poor yep. carter most of the time too um yep. and the, the, the fight the fighting look i mean when i was watching i'm like these guys are like taking hits like what what was the kind of in terms of like stunt like doing it stunt wise and doing it like legit because some of those hits that they like carter was taking and some of the other guys were taking like even like the karate guys i think is beat the shit out of it out of that one mm -hmm. montage in the beginning it's like damn they're, yeah they're taking some real licks so were you kind of like careful about making sure hey be, make it real but don't like i, I don't need it to be bruised up because i need you to keep doing this for doing it again <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's like <laughs> exactly. i can't have like in one scene it's like black guy it's like well you got a black guy here it's like it happened the other time or something like that yeah exactly <laughs> um well you know this is a testament to our action director ken kitagora who um um you'll see somewhere in the film but you know he mainly is his work behind the camera was to kind of think about the action design and what you're saying just to kind of be able to um make it fit the world that we were trying to make and not make it you know this is not marvel you know they're not flying yeah. around and they're not crashing and punching through walls so what does that mean they get broken by the walls and stuff like that <laughs> so if like there's there's something that um certainly went into the thought and approach and of his design and also training with the actors who did some, uh, some of them, most of them did have martial arts experience. And then we found uh, people who were just fighters and that mm -hmm. just needed, you know, we're used to kind of like taking shots to the face yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of like trying to like blur the lines in terms of like what they can do. And no one was hurt. Let's be clear. And no one, okay. we we're all, everyone's fine. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't crash or send anyone into the hospital. So we were safe about it. But in terms of just kind of like finding those little thresholds, because um, you know, I think, people know when something feels fake yeah. especially now when they see you know world star 
and they oh, watch, you know, yeah, all these like, things. Like we're very so MMA or whatever. Like we are very sensitive now if something feels fake for better or for worse. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, what we wanted to kind of like be aware of, like to make sure that it sold. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you, you felt it was convincing and well, everyone was safe. So we did our job. So No, it, it looked legit. Like the, the, some of the hits and uh, I know what, talking about Carter again, I, Matthew Page, I think did a great job. Yeah. As Car as grown up Sifu Carter, whatever you want to call him, um, yeah. Now he he has his web show and everything like that, like the Enter the Dojo thing that he does. Now, was that a deciding factor on hiring him on? Was it something that somebody brought to you, like, hey, Bow, this this guy, this Matthew Page guy, this guy's insane. He's he's he plays this weird dojo master, <laughs> millions of views on YouTube, and I just thought he was like the perfect addition. He was like the perfect foil to the three like the, the to uh to, to the three to the three uh the the three tigers, tigers three paper yeah. tigers if you want to yeah, say because yeah. he's yeah. like this self-righteous self-important like oh, i was shifu now and everybody's like hey get the fuck out of here this is I, 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 i'm tired of you I'm, like you're not a seafood it's like oh yeah i'm a seafood <laughs> and um, having them go back and forth was always to me that was a lot of fun too because it's not I don't want to say fish out of water story because it's like he's like the kind of like the one main American actor you have who is kind of like stepped into the role of like a leader. Whereas the three tigers that you would expect to be leaders are like, yeah, no, sorry, I got a kid, I got a bad knee, and I'm only doing MMA fighting right now. So, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. like, the four of them, like, working together to me was also very entertaining. So, are there any kind of like between the four of them where they, riffing off of each other it was a pretty tight script like how did that kind of work out with the four of them kind of going back and forth yeah absolutely i think it's a testament to their all the players and all the actors on that on that scene so you know it wasn't i i definitely left some room to for them to kind of play and riff and improv because i think that was a huge part of kind of how they were going to interact and the type of energy that they had with each other and the things that you described was exactly what we were trying to go Mm -hmm. go for um uh, Matt, you know, obviously is is a comic genius to me. I think he's fantastic. He's really a uh, fun talent to watch. And we had saw, we had seen the show just as fans uh, into the dojo. We've just been watching it for because we've been at this movie for many many years. <laughs> we've <Yeah. laughs> we've may, seen many stuff go on, but we tra- We were walking to the show and we we're tracking him, and and uh, we had talked to him. I think even a couple of years before about it, um, but you know, only briefly because everything everything was still kind of like um still in the air at that point but yeah. once things got more real we started talking to him and um there wasn't really much other options as far as auditioning i, I always felt like he was the one and he felt he could do it and we and he seen, he really liked the material and and was down for it as well so it was just kind of worked as far as the timing and just waiting for it to happen but um i i really am excited for him and, and i hope this does really well for him and and gives him uh these opportunities because i think uh, you know he has a lot of talent and he's really hard working mm-hmm. as well and so and the same goes for the rest of the cast for Elaine, who plays Danny, Ron, who plays uh, Hing, and then Mikhail, who plays Jim. Mm-hmm. All four of them had this really great interplay together because yeah. we did um, <laughs> rehearsals and some improv that just kind of let them have some ideas about how it was going to go about and how they were going to interact. But it's just kind of came out organic, just the way they started teasing him, like yeah. right away. Like, I think, remember we did a scene, I just said, okay, we're going to go back in time. You're like 18 again. <laughs> and it's Friday night and you're going to be at this McDonald's, the three tigers, you're going to be at McDonald's and then uh, Carter's going to come in and order, you know, his meal and 
unbeknownst, you know, you didn't expect to see each other, but here you are. And you're actually going to fight a challenge fight the next day. And just that's scheduled for the next night. So then I just let him rip. And it just started being so funny because they ended up being one side of the McDonald's and then Matt or Carter was on the other side. And they were just like talking smack to each other across the way. And just like, and it was just funny. And it was just, um, I think someone had mentioned the takeaway of it was like, Carter wants to be a part of that group. Yeah. But he can't. (laughs) So it's like, it's that's the ever burning, you know, revenge passion for him is yeah. just wanting to be, be part, of, part of the group but yeah. he can't exactly. and the three tigers we can't have four tigers <laughs> yeah exactly so i think that's just like that was the conflict and that came out and and you know i you know hope the audience can be able to see and enjoy that because that's definitely what you know we were working on as well so yeah i love the interplay between matt and ron most of the time because i think ron brings the funny most of the he's the one yeah. who, it, it's how it, about Everybody has like their own little faults and everything like that. Obviously, when uh-huh. you're top of the world, and then you know you get into some of the backstory between between Jim and Danny and everything like that. There's a little bit kind of a deeper, you know, kind of anger. Not I don't say anger, but animosity between them and Ron mm-hmm. was always uh, uh, or uh, um, um, was it uh, well Ron's character. Sorry, you know, Hing. Yeah, okay, Hing. Sorry about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I go back and forth between actors and no problems. Yeah. <laughs> but he's always been like, kind of like the level head, level headed guy who kind of just got left behind. He kind of just stayed, stayed the person he was. He still studied his medicine and things like that, which I always thought, I, I think that's always funny in, in the movie too, when he does his medicine stuff too. It's like, it's, it's like this mystical thing yeah. that he does that it, it works and it, it works so well, especially when uh, they have, they have their little, um, their tussle in the pool with the other, uh, with the other, um, the youngins and everything like that. Yep. Too. yep. But um, I, I love the, just the way they interplay and go back and forth because they seem like, I'm sure on set they were the ones probably going hard, hardest at each other riffing and everything because it just yep. comes off yep. in the film that they were the ones that, okay, we're, we're kind of like the, the foils to the two self serious characters. We're the ones that are going to be kind of riffing and making the magic happen here too. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they found those, they found kind of their grooves uh, on their own in a lot of ways, just kind of like, here's the characters, and they just started like committing to what that character is, whereas Jim is like a little more of the silent brooding yeah. type, and he's kind of checking out what Danny's going to do, because mm-hmm. Danny's the, he's the youngest, and then Danny's the, you know, oldest, yeah. so he's always kind of like, he doesn't want to join in this teasing, even though it's funny, but he's just trying to make sure it's cool. Yeah. Danny's not cool with it, he's kind of like the, the mom character, is like, oh my god, you guys just... <laughs> But he kind of participates as well, and like you said, it just really does come down to, to to Carter and Hing, uh, going at it as far as that. So, yeah, I mean, and I think you know, I know Ron. He, he's had an illustrious career and everything like that mm. in Hollywood and everything. So people mm-hmm. will automatically recognize him um, from you know he's going to be in Mulan and he's been in tons of other things too. So it's great yep. that you were able to get him on board and just have him do his thing because he was hilarious. He's just like the. Uh, the fly on the wall, but he's also kind of the audience in a lot of ways where you're looking at stuff. And he just points it out to you so easily. Like, <laughs> like that's what you should be looking at right now. It's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Hey. That's cool. Yeah, that's exactly that's cool. what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, yeah, um, I'm excited for him too. Yeah. Just be able to have a role like this to, and he shines in this. I'm really excited for him to be, for people to be able to see this different side of him Yeah, as well. So now uh, you said years to make this film. How many years was, was the paper tigers in the making uh from i guess i want to say from conception to completion but i guess we can kind of go go from there at this point 
Yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, uh, it was a little bit on and off at the beginning in terms of, but in terms of the idea that I had, I think it was about 2011. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, nine years now, um, nine odd years now, yeah. uh, just to be able to kind of like get to where we were. We had a script maybe about year, see, we're talking years now, year four, year five, we had a script. Yeah. And then it was like kind of more committed development uh, from for about four or five years after that as well. So, um, so uh yeah it was just kind of a whole process of just being able to work the script obviously and get it to the right place and then and then starting to kind of develop in just the whole mechanics of it of just Mm -hmm. breaking down the script and scheduling and figuring out the budget and starting to pitch and trying to find the money and and how it's going to how the money is going to be put together because there's a million ways to to put together a movie in this uh you know in this world so this was very independent this was um, we had to do a Kickstarter. We did some crowdfunding, and we did some private money, and all. So it was just like it was a, all these uh, mishmash in terms of making the sausage um, yeah. <laughs> to get here. So, and then we went through you know the whole rigmarole. We did kind of do the Hollywood pitch tour and just try to try to see how we could do with a studio interest, and we did that as well. And until we realized, you know, there wasn't uh, quite the traction that we were looking for, and had to do it ourselves. And at the end of the day, you know, being able to having to do it ourselves was really a privilege because we were able to do it ourselves and and own it and 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 basically have creative control yeah no, no interference from anybody's like well hey you should yeah. change that character and this character it's like no we're not going to do that this is the way it's supposed to be and uh you know sorry buddy you know you can keep your uh, extra money or something like that just finding the right people yeah. on you too because obviously you know getting the funding is the biggest probably hurdle at the end of the day i mean you can write a great script if you have it in your heart, but to like have somebody here's money. I trust you to do this your way. It's like, most of the time it's like, here's money. I trust you to do it the way I want you to do it most of the time too. So I can only imagine kind of this, that sort of relief sometimes when you receive, you know, funding and you can do it yourself though at the same time. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things that was painful, but you wouldn't have it any other way, you know? Um, but you know, knowing that what we were up against in terms of um, like you were saying, we did have some notes about like, you know, changing the races of the characters and changing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to get a white guy into the lead roles and changing, changing out and get Bruce Willis or something, you know, it's just kind of like these very Hollywood. Get Bruce notes. Willis. He'll be really. Yeah. Get this. Bruce Willis. Period. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll make your movie. Um, so, you know, we had kind of all those asinine type of um, meetings and, and, mm-hmm. It gave us clarity about the things that we did want and what we didn't want for the movie. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it was just kind of all, it wasn't wasted time. It was just kind of took a while, but yeah. we, it gave us, you know, the things that we needed in terms of like the um, determination in terms of like, nope, we're not doing it that way. And then like realizing that this is the way to do it. Yeah. And there wasn't any ifs, ands, or buts about it. So Yep. So, and then you complete the film. And now we have 2020 and I'm sure January, 2020, it's like, yeah, this is going to be a great year. <laughs> Everything's looking fantastic. Yeah. And now we're sitting here, uh, August, you know, uh, near the end of August and Fantasia Fest and everything's virtual and mm-hmm. everything's online and there's no actual screening screenings of everything. Um, how was that? I guess when you're in the editing room, finishing up the film, your first film, and you're getting to the point of, I'm editing this film, but it's not going to be, I mean, obviously not going to be seen the way you want it to be seen on a, on a, on a, on a 
screen on, on a movie screen with a crowd full of people laughing, cheering, doing whatever they're doing in the theater. Um, what did you did you have any kind of like you know were you melancholy about that kind of near the end or is it like look you know obviously this isn't the way I want to but I finished this thing and people are still going to be able to see it because it's submitted and they're going to have a great time. Uh, I mean I, I'm sure it's emotional in so many different ways. And I'm, I'm sure it's a loaded question to ask you as well, too. So, but I'm just yeah, curious, you know. it's um no, I mean that's that's one of the great um, sadnesses, and I think we're all on the same page. I'm not speaking out of turn, but it is yeah. one of the great sadnesses just not to be able to have this movie uh, seen with a crowd because I do think it's you know it's a lot of fun with a big crowd to be able to see, and that's what we wanted to do, just have a big experience like that. So it is kind of like that's that was uh, a sadness that we have, but here we are and I guess we try to make the best of it and Pantasia has you know been really forthright and just proactive you know in terms of just saying we're going virtual very early on you know yeah. um, and, and they just you know committed to it whereas a lot of fests just said no we're going to cancel and, and postpone so um, you know they could have done it many different ways but they really committed to just like let's make it virtual and try to make the best of it so I really commend Fantasia in terms of um, what they have have been doing so far and they've been very accommodating with filmmakers and stuff like that and trying to create you know a live experience like you know obviously with around the screenings and try to try to at least you know reclaim some of that experience back so you know, we're trying what we can um i do you know i do we're a little antsy like it's a little not knowing when we people see this movie in their at, mm -hmm. in their homes and how the reaction is but maybe yeah. that's how people who make netflix movies feel i don't know but it's like it's kind of the same. But you know, you don't really get a sense of that 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 immediate rush of just like if something is really playing well or not. <laughs> so yeah. it's like kind of you kind of you kind of really hope for that because I think that's kind of the joy of of a movie is just to be able to see something uh, and be taken on a journey together. So that is that is um, that is what it is where we are now. So um, uh, I think what's more, what we have to look forward to is just trying to find more opportunities. I think with drive-ins or and stuff mm -hmm. like that so that's something that we really do want to kind of keep looking at and be able to figure out what we can still do in terms of just still having a way where we're all at least seeing the same things at the same yeah. time um together in some some capacity and maybe that's maybe that's those are the things that we just have to kind of think around but uh, i think everybody's trying to figure it out as they yeah. go here so nobody really has real answers but um yeah yeah, because I mean, mo I mean, South with South South by Southwest when they canceled and everybody else seems to be canceled, like um, Tribeca and everything else. I mean, yeah, this is the first one that was kind of like fully virtual. I mean, earlier on in the year, I did a, did a little work with the Chattanooga Film Festival here mm. in in Tennessee, and everything mm -hmm. was virtual there too. It was a much smaller film festival, more shorts, a few you know handful of movies and things like that, and they did a few kind of Q and As and everything, but everything was still held virtually. This one yeah. just seems to be, and, and I commend, you, know, you said it yourself, you know, commending the people at Fantasia for putting together such a large film festival and yeah. scaling it into this, into this way where everybody can, and everybody can see the movie. And what I find the most interesting is that will there continue to be a virtual aspect to film festivals going forward to open up the opportunities for the, the film to be seen more, to have more, maybe more chance of distribution not just to people that are at the film festival but i say like, oh i wasn't able to make it to you know quebec or toronto or new york or something like that and i can like give you a call shoot you an email like hey i saw a screener for this this is great 
how's distribution deal sound for this? Like, wow, that's great. I didn't even have to leave my house or anything like that. <laughs> so, I guess yeah. changing the commerce of uh, film festivals as well too, making it a little bit more open to anybody. So, but to your well, point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, you know, in terms of the accessibility, I think that's something that maybe is just speeding up the tech along mm-hmm. where things weren't quite there or really needed a lot of nudging. So maybe that's the silver lining. Um, mm-hmm. And like you're saying, like a festival that would be normally to just the Montreal audience is now available to all of Canada. Maybe mm-hmm. that just kind of creates another access point that never would people wouldn't have afforded to go or wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to 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 do otherwise so maybe that's something too and um and i think from an access like the literal accessibility standpoint you know when you said that it just kind of reminded me at sundance there was um there was a crip camp that was the film that had premiered at um at uh, sundance and it was mm-hmm. about um uh, these uh i guess kids that grew kids who grew up in a camp together that was a disabled for a disabled camp and yeah. and just kind of the activism that grew out of it mm-hmm. it was a big celebration yeah. Uh, for them but i i did recall there was a lot of chatter because like the the after party was like in an old sundance lodge that had no um no no wheelchair ramps and um, no real like accessibility I think, I so think i was... remember kind of hearing about that too and going like oh that's not a good look yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so to that point maybe this virtual kind of ups increases uh the technology aspect of it of just creating a little more accessibility and, and things that wouldn't have been nudged along if you know this hadn't, hadn't been happened so you know maybe that's those are all the silver linings around it so yeah but at the same time you know nothing beats sitting in a darkened theater uh watching the film together at the same screen all the eyes on the on the screen and then getting the immediate feedback if you're in you know i'm sure you've sat in plenty of audiences watching your shorts or uh, other things in uh, film festivals and getting that rush where people like the clap or the everything goes on it's like I guess I could do that in my own house and everybody else yes. might be doing the same thing. Cause yeah. I know watching this film, there were definitely times where I was like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not playing <laughs> to myself, you know, I, and, and I'm like, damn, I wish you know, if, if I was in the same room with some other people, I'm sure they would appreciate yeah. it. Also, yeah. it's, you can uh, always text me emojis. So okay. There's anything, there yeah, you go. Perfect. That. That. <laughs> yeah. It's the new, totally. the, new way, the new way of actually uh, getting my, uh, my emotion across to people. Like, exactly. <laughs> But I sent you an emoji. Don't like, you? Did you not get the emoji? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, what was that? Oh, that was the fart emoji. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> it made you fart. Perfect. It gave you gas. I can't. I'm, exactly. How lovely. <laughs> exactly. Well, Bell, that's huge. Uh, I mean, for me, that was you know, seeing it. Audience reaction was kind of my big litmus test in how to figure out making movies and see mm-hmm. what worked, whether you were pushing a button or where you were pulling them and taking them in places or not and taking me places. I, mm-hmm. you know, I just recall back to movies that I loved taking me on a journey and, and what buttons they were pushing, you know, as far as that. And that was kind of like really, it was Pavlovian, right? He's trying yeah, to figure right? out how yeah. to make a movie and just like understand what all, all that was. It wasn't theoretical. I just, I'm obsessed with thinking about how an audience is going to think about and react to it yeah. and, and just kind of like that type of thing. So that's kind of like re- really shapes uh, the type of stories that we want to do. So, well, I mean, that we're we're gonna we're we're sto- you're, you're a storyteller. We're all storytellers in our own different ways and everything. Yep. This yep. this this podcast, this interview is telling a story about kind yeah. of you know we've gone from Vietnam to Seattle to everywhere in between to uh, you know Montreal for Fantasia, yep. learning about people and learning about ourselves. Yeah. So 
Thank exactly. you for allowing me to be on the journey with you, Val. I do appreciate it. So, <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for having me. It was a joy. Yep. Uh, so Paper Tigers will be premiering Fantasia this year on August 30th, I believe, correct? Yep. Am I right on that? So Sunday, um, August 30th. Are you going to be doing any uh, post QA or anything like that for that? Like, is there anything you want to plug for the film leading up to the 30th? Uh, yeah. So the, the screening on the Sunday, uh, August 30th is our world premiere. It's going to be at 9 PM Eastern. Um, and then we will have a Q and a for that screening, uh, with me and the cast, uh, Elaine, Ron, Mikkel, and Matt. So stay Thanks. tuned right after the screening of that. We'll have a fun Q and a, uh, hopefully people will still be up. <laughs> people still be awake so um yeah that's going to be a, a real fun time for all of us to try to plug in hopefully that's actually going to be the first time for them to see the movie as well so oh very um, cool. they right. could be on mute <laughs> for the whole <laughs> q a or they could be talking we'll find out um so stay tuned yeah this is a cliffhanger i don't know how it's gonna be what's <laughs> gonna happen on the 30th we're gonna exactly. find out <laughs> exactly well so um, um paper tigers something that Definitely, everybody should be proud of. I think it's a, just a fun. It, it's it's a it's a fun, uplifting, buddy, nostalgic, kung fu comedy in so many different ways. I mean, um, and this isn't taking anything away from other films I've watched at Fantasia so far, but everything is genre based. So everything goes from thrillers to horror to this to that. And you're like the one film so far where I'm watching it. I'm like. Good. I'm, I feel less stressed right now. Like, you know, you know, I, don't, I don't feel like anxiety ridden or anything like that. It, it's just a really good film with, with some really good ideas and some really good, just, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's something about it. It's like, I don't want to say it's, it's wholesome because, you know, there's definitely fighting people are beating the shit out of each other. But, <laughs> but there's still, you know, this idea of brotherhood and, you know, kind of coming together for, you know, a common, a common goal, a common, a common good and everything. And, Kind of learning learning about you know growth is the main thing i would say about the film so um thank you for releasing it and putting it into the world and hopefully everybody's going to enjoy it this week so hopefully as well yeah i'm glad you liked it man thank you yeah. that was very okay. nice words well, well okay enough of that crap okay <laughs> <laughs> well enough enough of but uh thank you bell for uh, joining us on uh, this episode of simplistic interviews um we'll be back i'm sure with another interview uh soon enough but for the time being i appreciate you coming on my friend thank you so much cheers thank you thanks for listening to simplistic sit down for more interviews reviews podcasts and commentaries visit simplisticreviews.net <laughs>